Hey y'all, it's Barb. It's Shay. We're here to talk about a murder that's gonna knock you off your feet. So giddy up y'all, this is gonna be a wild one. Hey y'all, we're back with another episode and today's episode is a very special one because you guys had the opportunity to vote who you'd like us to cover and today we're covering it. But first, how's it going Shay? It's going good, can't complain, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I can't complain either, and I'm really excited to share this case with you guys. For the month of September, you guys had the choice to vote for Eileen Warnos or John Wayne Gacy or Rodney Alcala. So are you ready to hear who won the most votes? Please drumroll. Rodney Alcala, a.k.a. the dating game killer, is who we will be talking about today. Also, I'm so excited about this case. Me too, me too. I do want to say real quick that I'm not going to get into the gory bits for this one. Um, I will cover most, or like the known, I guess, murder victims that, that he did end up killing and get sentenced for. But we'll be kind of like doing a broad spectrum over it. And thank you to everyone who voted for the month of September and be on the lookout for October 1st for a new series from us. Before we get started, I do want to say I got most of my information from Wikipedia, allthatinteresting.com, and Murderpedia. Well, listeners, let's go ahead and dive into today's case. Rodney Akala was born August 23rd, 1943. When Rodney was born, he was actually named Rodrigo Jaquez Alcala Bacuar, which I think is how you say that last name, but not 100% sure. He was born in San Antonio, Texas. And real quick, I do want to mention that it's so you guys who have been listening to us for a, a while now know that we cover mainly cases inside of Texas. These cases that we get you guys to vote on is something that we could cover outside of Texas. So throughout the U.S., Canada, wherever. And we just brought it right back here to our home, not our home, but our home state in San Antonio. Yep. Sounds about right. It sounds like Texas for you. I know. Well, let's talk about his parents. His parents were Raul Acala Bacuar and Anna Gutierrez. After he was born, not too long after, Anna decided to take a leap and move all the way out to Los Angeles, California, in a suburban neighborhood. At the time of the move, it was just Rodney, but he did have sisters and all of them were raised really only by their mother because his father abandoned his family really early on in his childhood. I didn't find too much about how he was as a child, like if he was a a troubled kid or if he was a good kid there wasn't really information on that but how did Rodney get the name the dating game killer I bet you guys are probably thinking about that and probably thought that he maybe logged into video games online or something of that nature and staked out women and met up with them and then he would commit brutal crimes but that's really not the case at all it's pretty it's much simpler than that Apparently, 
He appeared on an American dating show in 1978 called The Dating Game. And this was in the very midst of his murder spree. Also, I would like to note that the investigators did have to say that Rodney toyed with his victims, acting as if these killings were much like a game. Rodney would strangle his victims to where they would pass out and lose consciousness, and then he would let the grip go so that they would then regain consciousness and pretty much be able to come back to reality. And then as soon as they were able to come back to reality, he would grip their neck again. And he did this on and on and on until ultimately they passed away. As he got older, he decided to join the United States military. In 1960, after enlisting in the army, his role was a clerk. If someone is a clerk in the army, you're pretty much having an office job. So you could be doing things such as filing mail, greeting clients, answering phone calls, scheduling meetings, or like restocking supplies, something like that. Only four years later, after joining the army, Rodney experienced what they would quote a severe mental breakdown and which resulted in him being diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. And this was confirmed by and tested by military psychiatrists. So with this being said, they decided to go ahead and discharge him on medical grounds. After Rodney was discharged, he decided, okay, you know what? Let me go ahead and enroll myself into UCLA of Fine Arts. And this is where he'd graduate after claiming to have some type of genius level IQ. I don't know if that was ever agreed upon, but that's what he claims. Even obtaining this degree, it didn't stop him from continuing to climb up the education ladder. He decided to move up and enroll into the University of New York City using the alias John Berger. I'm not sure why but yeah and it doesn't make sense how he's able to actually like go into a university with an alias how is that a thing i think he may have been coming up with like fake diplomas or like fake um ids or something like that and use this name but this wasn't really the only name he used there was like three or four different aliases that he used across the united states he really just did not want to be rodney apparently No, he just kept changing his name, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. And whenever he moved to this university, he studied film production, and he studied it under Roman Polanski, and he was a Polish film producer and writer. He actually produced a lot of older movies that we probably haven't seen and wrote a lot of stuff that we haven't seen, but (laughs) a lot of people know him I guess back then so quick fact about this guy he is actually now I think on the run from the United States after being a fugitive and receiving several several sexual abuse cases I think he went back to Poland or wherever he came from but not 100% sure where he is he's on the run so a few years later in 1968 Rodney committed his first known crime and when I say known this is the very first one that we know about but police can 
speculate that he's committed crimes much way before this. We just can't pinpoint it. A person who was riding a motorcycle at the time witnessed Rodney lure a little girl into his Hollywood apartment. When he saw this, he called the police right away, and when the cops arrived at his apartment, the eight-year-old girl was found inside, and her name was Tali Shapiro, and she had already been raped and beaten with a metal bar. I That's think, so sad. I know, and it's sad because I think Rodney's goal was to have killed her, but she made it out alive, and thankfully. Rodney had already escaped and fled to the East Coast at this time, um, as soon as this happened. And this is when he enrolled himself, like I said, into the NYU Film School in New York City. So when I mentioned it earlier that he enrolled, he had already committed a crime. Wow. They're trying to find him, but they can't until a little bit later on. During the summer months there, in New York City, he began working as some type of counselor for young children at New Hampshire Arts for Children Camp. He was still using the alias John, but this is when he changed his last name from Berger to Burger. So, yeah. He He's so creative. I know. So he just basically changed the E to the U, and now he's John Berger. In the year 1971, two nearby campers that had actually been going to that camp he was working at had noticed Rodney's picture with the print on it, the top 10 FBI most wanted. I just want to say real quick, how did nobody else notice that? I'm saying like, if it's just like posted up and you see it, like how did the people who hired him as a counselor not do a background check? Honestly, and how could you not say, oh my God, that looks like John on the top 10 most wanted poster and he works there like I'm so confused yeah and like they to me it just throws me off that they didn't do a background check because he's a counselor for children yes so like, that makes me think like are all of these camps doing background checks on their workers I know a lot of them are teenagers but it's still like um hello exactly, exactly. and this poster wasn't at the camp specifically, but it was nearby at a post office. So when the camp, the campers that had gone there noticed that his post, his most wanted poster was there, they quickly notified the workers at the camp. And this is when the police came and arrested him. And whenever they arrested him, they transported him all the way back to California because that's where he was wanted. However, the family of the first known murder victim, so Tali, the eight-year-old girl I just mentioned, they actually previously packed their things up and moved to Mexico. And since this happened, she was refused to be able to testify against Rodney in court. So the prosecutors had no other choice but to charge him with a lesser charge since there were no other witnesses or people to prosecute against him. So now that Rodney did not receive the prosecution of rape or attempted murder on Tali, he only served about 34 months in prison before being released by making, and making parole. He was able to make parole by being under a program called, quote, intermediate sentencing, which was a popular program back then. 
and this program allowed parole boards to release offenders as soon as they demonstrated evidence of rehabilitation, which is basically improving behavior and exhibiting growth in prison. So after this, less than two months after paroling, Rodney was arrested again for giving marijuana to a 13-year-old girl who was claiming she had been kidnapped by Rodney. He was charged and once again paroled after 34 months after he demonstrated evidence of rehabilitation. It doesn't work. They don't get her rehabilitated. Hello, are we just going to keep <laughs> on making the same mistake? You just look dumb at this point. Well, when he was finally released after this time in jail, it was the year 1977. And weird enough, his parole officer took an unusual hinge in giving Rodney the okay to travel back to New York, even though he was on parole and a repeated sex offender. And people were so smart in 1970. They're just geniuses. Yes, and usually that doesn't happen, but he got the okay from his parole officer to travel. So... It is to be believed that while Rodney was inside New York, just after one week arriving, he killed Ellen Hover, a 23-year-old woman who was the daughter of a popular club called, like, Cyros or Kiros. I don't know how to say that. Mm-hmm. Don't live in New York. But she was a popular um, woman, I guess you would say. Her body was discovered buried in the grounds of Rockefeller Estate in Westchester County. The next year, in 1978, even with his entire criminal record, which showed a sex offender and all his previous arrests, he managed to be able to get a job as a typesetter at the Los Angeles Times. So, yeah, that's like... It's so hard to, like, think about being in that time. And, like, I know a lot of people, they were like, oh, rape. Yeah, that's not rape. Like, you're asking for a blah, blah, blah. Like, that's how they used to look at it sometimes. And it's just like, this is, this is not okay. Like, whatsoever to even, he shouldn't even be walking around to even be able to find a job. Honestly, like, and to travel and do what he wants, work, work where he wants, be around who he wants, like, I don't understand. But I do want to tell you and mention this, because get this, guys, at this very time, he was working for the Los Angeles Times newspaper company. Guess who was big in their stories? Guess who they've been tracking and covering for weeks? The Hillside Strangler. Wow. Yes. So during his time working as a typesetter, he was convincing multiple young women that he was a photographer and would love to capture them through film in which he has a degree in, he went to school for, and he would love to take their photos and build an amazing portfolio. This is how he sold himself. These women are thought to be other victims, and most have yet to be identified by police. So, throughout this time, police have really got more of a closer eye on on Rodney, because women's bodies have been found, and they've been missing, and 
they're not being able to connect them to the hillside strangler. But some, they are, obviously. So, let's talk about the investigation with Rodney. Over the course of the investigation, police would discover handfuls of women and teenage boys photographed by Rodney, which makes police believe he, he is responsible for many, many, many unsolved murders. He is compared at the end of the day to Ted Bundy in multiple cases. And it is feared that as time goes on and evidence continues to pile on, that he could in fact possibly be the most prolific serial killer in the United States history. A few different victims I would like to talk about today. And one of them's name was Robin Samso, a 12-year-old girl from Huntington Beach, California. She ended up disappearing somewhere in some time between the beach and her ballet class on June 20th, 1979. 12 days later, after she was reported missing, the police discovered her body in the foothills of Los Angeles. After the cops began to look into Rodney as being the person behind her slaying, they uncovered her missing pair of earrings inside of a Seattle locker rental that was bought and paid for by Rodney. So with that being said, that's their evidence. They quickly arrested him and brought him into court. His court date was set in 1980 where he would be convicted of first degree murder and was sent to death was sent to death and received the death penalty but the sentence was overturned by the California Supreme Court because apparently the Orange County Supreme Court trial judge made the jury aware of his previous offense that he never even got into trouble for and this was the tally case and pretty much said since the jury used the information to also convict Rodney about the attempted murder and the rape of Tally, that it didn't work. You just basically ruined it all. So the California Supreme Court trumped Orange County and overturned the convention or the conviction. So basically they're saying you brought up evidence about his past past offense, but he was never actually convicted of it. So what you're convicting him of doesn't work yeah that makes kind of a little bit of sense you know uh because you can't necessarily like it'd be different if he was charged for it and was arrested and everything for it for like but he he was charged for he was charged for it though i thought well so he was charged but it wasn't for rape and attempted murder he was gotcha. charged with some other lesser sentence i don't know what that sentence was but it was not for rape and attempted murder it okay was something else which but makes it, sense because you can't bring up something that is like hearsay by a judge yeah but exactly. still it's just like does it really matter what this guy just put him in freaking prison already yeah. like why are you picking him out of all the people to actually care about well get this because you'll see you'll you'll be frustrated here in a minute so fast forward six years later in 1986 he was trialed for the second time where he again received the death penalty for the second time but the ninth circuit of appeals overturned overturned his conviction again due to pretty much 
this is what they said, why they, they overturned the conviction. Quote, the park ranger who found a 12-year-old Robin's body, they were hypnotized by police officers and not a good supporting accurate witness on stand. End quote. So, now they have overturned the conviction because hearsay she say about the tally um, rape and attempted murder, but now they're saying that the park ranger who found this 12-year-old girl's body, Robin, was hypnotized by the police. Bro. Yeah. So, and, like, you know dang well that he killed that baby girl and her yes. many, many other people, and you're going to keep overruling it? Like, they're just making things way worse for the family. Like, that does, does not make any sense. Yeah, like, why are you continuously not trying to get him convicted? Like, he's just going to keep hurting people. It's just, it's honestly, it's frustrating because they always want to fight for the wrong people. And it just is like, dude, if you know he killed all these people, just put him in prison. Stop fighting this. Like, it does not matter. Or, like, let him sit in there until you can figure it out for sure. And then court. You don't got to kill him. Just put him life sentence for now and then figure out if you want to kill him later. Yes. (laughs) He'll be murdered by people in prison anyways. Honestly, he would for for hurting children. So, between the second... And the third trial, Rodney decided to write a book in which he titled You, the Jury. And in this book, he claims his innocence in the killing of Robin and in fact gave the police another suspect they should be looking into for the murder. He also filed two lawsuits against the California panel system. One of the lawsuits was for a slip and fall accident And the second lawsuit was for not giving him a low-fat diet in which he requested. Now, this boy needs to go somewhere. Low-fat diet? Who can I sue for that? I need that, too. I know. So, let's talk about the third trial for Robin's murder, which began in 2003. While preparing for it, it came to light that Rodney's DNA matched two samples given from semen left inside two women's bodies who were found decomposing in California. And not only that, but two more pairs of earrings were found inside the very same locker he was keeping Robin's earrings inside of. So, for further evidence, there was more found in 2004. When evidence matched another cold case, this all led to the indictment for the additional four murders of women. So now, you got four murders that we're talking about. These women were Jill Barkham, who was 18 years old at the time of death. She was a New York runaway who was found rolled up like a ball in a Los Angeles ravine in 1977. This woman was actually thought to have been killed by the hillside strangler, but the DNA left inside the victim identified as Rodney's DNA. And remember, listeners, Rodney was helping cover the murder spree of the hillside strangler and probably thought his murders could just slide right under the very man he was trying to cover. Yeah. 
Another victim was Georgia Wixted, who was 27 years old. She was found bludgeoned in her Malibu apartment in 1977. Charlotte Lamb, who was 31, was found raped and then strangled. Her body was found lying in a laundry room of an El Segundo apartment complex in 1978. The fourth murder Rodney was being indicted for was the murder of Jill Parentu, who was 21 years old. Her body was found in her Burbank apartment in 1979. Each and every victim's body was found posed. And Rodney had chosen how to position them with patience and a price decision. And when I say pose, it's like a film. Like he's taking pictures, like they're being photographed, but they have already passed away at this point. So with that being said, now the third trial begins. But now instead of just the one murder victim, Robin, the panel has the opportunity to bring forth a total of five. So you can think without a doubt the jury has a higher chance to convict Rodney because it because it isn't just based on witnesses anymore or a hypnotized park ranger but now they have DNA matching on four victims however it did take a while for all the notions to gather for his day in court and it didn't happen until 2006 when the California Supreme Court ruled in the prosecutor's favor and in February 2010, he finally stood trial to face the panel on all five counts of murder. For this trial, Rodney actually elected to be his own attorney. And for five freaking hours, he played the roles of the interrogator and witness, which resulted in him asking himself questions and then turning around and answering them. Like, he's trying to be Ted Bundy. Yeah, that's why another reason why I think that people compare him to Ted Bundy in a lot of things is because, I mean, then again, it does show his antisocial, like, personality disorder because mm -hmm. you're literally show, like, showcasing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He told the jury that at the time of Robin's murder, he was at the Knott's Berry Farm applying for a job as a photographer. He also told them that the earrings found in his locker were his and that he wore them. However, a contestant who played the dating game show with Rodney took, and took the stand and testified against him, saying that men wearing earrings was not a thing. And if he was actually wearing the earrings, it would have stuck out to him like a sore thumb and he would have recognized it because it was just like taboo, I guess, to him that guys didn't really wear earrings like that yet. Mm -hmm. But when the other four new murder cases were brought up, Rodney really didn't try to deny or dispute those claims. In fact, he just said pretty much that he did not re remember killing any woman. And in his closing argument, he played the song by Arlo Guthrie called Alice's Restaurant. And in this song... It literally is a like a protagonist telling his psychiatrist that he wants to kill. So how does that, how's that supposed uh, to happen? Yeah, that's not helping yourself, my dude. No. So 
In less than two days, the jury convicted him in all five counts of first-degree murder and a surprise visit who was a witness during his penalty phase was none other than Tally Shapiro, his first known rape and attempted murder victim whose family had fled to Mexico all those many, many moons ago. She showed up in court. Good. That way she can talk, say to his face what he did to her. Yes. And I don't know what she said, but she was there to testify against that man to get him behind closed bars for what he did to her as an eight-year-old. So, in March 2010, Rodney was sentenced to death for the third and final time. And that same month, March of 2010, the police decided to release roughly 120 photographs that Rodney had taken of possible victims. They were anonymous at the time of taking them. They had no name. They had nothing other than the photograph. And they were hoping that the general public public would be able to identify them and give them answers as to who are these women. If their loved one may, like, they wanted answers as to if their loved one had maybe been missing or possibly sexually assaulted and abused, or if their remains came up somewhere across the U.S. and they had to bury them but had no answers as to what happened to them. These 110 photos were just of women and children, by the way. An additional 900 photos couldn't even be released to the public because they were too sexually explicit. So if we are not counting just Rodney's known victims, but these photos that he took, you add them together and you get roughly 1,000 people he could have sexually abused and killed. That's crazy. That's so insane. Isn't it? Isn't it though? Like, sheesh. A few (laughs) of the women did, like, a few of the women in the photos did come forward and identify themselves. Like, hey, that's me in that photo. So I'm still here. But also, multiple other families came forth claiming that their loved one had been missing for years and, like, they couldn't find them at all. So they could have possibly be victim of Rodney. And in the year 2013, roughly three years later after being sentenced to the death, a family came forth and identified a woman by a picture. Her name was Christine Thornton, who was 28 years old. Her body was found in Wyoming in 1982, and he was questioned with the death of Christine. And he did admit to photographing her, but not killing her. And at the time of her death, she was actually six months pregnant. Oh, I so know. Sad. And if you guys are interested, these 110 photos that the police release, I believe are still online. At least some of them are. You can definitely look up online to see if you could identify any of these women. It's a lot later now, so they would be much older. And you can find them and see if you recognize any of these women that he took photographs of. Over the years, Rodney stayed in prison awaiting his time for death. This year in 2021, in the month of July, so only a few months ago, Rodney died from natural causes at 1.43 a.m. in a hospital just at the age of 77 years old inside Orange County, California. 
But Thank God, like, dude, that man was just getting like lucky this whole time. I know, and that basically wraps up today's episode. There's a lot more that goes in detail with Rodney, but I wanted to cover the majority of it. Obviously, can't go into all of it, or we'd be here for many, many episodes. You guys can do your own research. There's YouTube videos. There's documentaries on this guy. So go look it up if you guys want. But I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And thank you guys for the ones who voted. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And hopefully the one you voted for won. So you could find out more about this person. So remember, we will have another vote poll up ready to go, I think, on the October 1st. Um, and we will have a new series for you guys, so stay tuned for that. And until next time, always remember we love you and to stay out of dark places and watch your back because you never know who's lurking. Bye. Bye.